Hello, I'm Roger Baker, Stratfor Senior Vice President for Strategic Analysis at Rain. This podcast is brought to you by Stratfor Worldview, Rain's premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Sign up for our free Worldview newsletter at worldview.stratfor.com. Welcome to Rain's Essential Geopolitics Podcast, powered by Stratfor. I'm Emily Donahue. Not too long ago, China announced that the ride-hailing firm Didi's main app would be removed from the country's app stores. It violated laws related to collecting and using personal information. Of course, there's more to that decision. So I called on Chase Blazik to put this decision into context. He's a Stratfor Asia-Pacific analyst at Rain. Chase, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Thanks, Emily. Great to be here. So Beijing's restrictions against Chinese Didi followed its June IPO in the United States. Is that correct? That's correct. What happened to Didi? Well, uh, as you said, it's the dominant ride-hailing firm uh, in China, and they, they're highly dependent on ride-hailing revenues. Um, prior to that IPO you spoke of, the Cyberspace Administration of China warned Didi to, quote, self-examine, unquote, its network security, which is Chinese political speak for, there's something wrong, but we want you to find it rather than us to point it out. Well, uh, Didi did not heed that. They uh, went ahead with the U.S. IPO and did pretty well. They raised about $4.5 billion, which is more than any Chinese IPO in the U.S. since Alibaba in 2014. Um, but directly after that, in the days following, uh, Chinese regulators, uh, as you said, required Didi to take its app down from the app stores and launched a security investigation into Didi's uh, headquarters, uh, which include, included uh, stationing Ministry of State Security staff uh, in Didi. And, and that ministry is China's intelligence and spy agency. So they're looking for a number of things related to data security, but also foreign influence Um not soon after that, China also instituted new IPO rules saying that any company that has uh, at least a million Chinese users in, in their databases and wishes to go for a foreign IPO must first submit to a national security review and basically get basically get uh, Beijing's OK before they do so. These events, the, the IPO rules, as well as Didi's uh, restrictions, have had a significant cooling effect on Chinese companies' IPOs uh, abroad involving canceled IPOs from home services company Daoja, uh, the number one fitness app in China, Simalaya, and social media company Little Red Book. Chase, hold that thought. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the podcast. Why did Beijing do this? Well, it's a really good question, and uh, frankly something our APAC team has had some lively debates about. Um, so the jury's still a little bit out on this, um, but there are some likely contributing factors I can speak to. Uh, first, we can look at what China said, and what makes some sense is data security or network security concerns. Obviously, Didi has data on many, many uh, millions of Chinese users, and that data in the wrong hands, for example, in the hands of foreign economists, could be used to, for example, tell alternative economic narratives about China's development. There's also a number of other factors going on here. Uh, first, China is wanting to limit some of the general risks of foreign IPOs, like I said, data um, and foreign influence, but they don't want to stop foreign IPOs because this is a great source of, uh, of income and some, and some capital for Chinese companies. 
Still, they're looking to encourage domestic IPOs on, for example, the Shanghai and Shenzhen stock exchange because, frankly, they're easier to monitor. It also ties into China's idea of data sovereignty or Beijing's idea of data sovereignty and the high-tech or AI race in that Beijing views data as oil, right? So this is a very valuable resource, and China doesn't necessarily want to leak that data over to foreign companies or foreign countries that could then compete better against China in these these high-tech uh, fields. And it, more broadly, zooming out, China's been on a bit of a binge of uh, tech scrutiny since October 2020 when uh, they stopped the Alibaba IPO. Um, and since then, it's been really one regulatory issue after another toward tech companies with, uh, in, in my opinion, the idea behind it being, well, while we're dealing with some issues in the tech field, we might as well deal with all of them. And uh, of course, behind all of this, there's Beijing politics, right? Beijing wants compliance from tech companies. They want these tech companies to do what they ask when they ask it, not just you know say, hey, I hear your warning, but I'm going to do something else, uh, kind of like Didi did. Chase, it seems to me that this will mean something for the development of China's tech industry. What would that be? Certainly. It means um, a, a number of things. Most obvious is that it's hurting Chinese firms' access to foreign finance, uh, which hurts their pace of innovation, right? A lot of these companies like Didi, they spend and spend and borrow and borrow until they grab up enough market share and have enough goods to actually turn a profit, right? So they, they rely on these IPOs in order to stay afloat and keep innovating. Um, it also has compliance issues. Uh, Beijing wants to protect Chinese data, whether this is data stored within domestic or foreign firms, uh, i.e. Tesla. And so this will make uh, really any regulatory processes uh, more difficult because companies have to keep in mind, what will Beijing want me to do, or more importantly, not do with this data? Uh, it'll also in incentivize within the U.S. Congress uh, more restrictions on Chinese companies because, uh, frankly, Beijing has been trying to nurture this image of, you know, Chinese private firms are indeed private and Beijing does not tell them what to do. Well, the case of Didi kind of says otherwise and will push U.S. Congress members to, um, say, put harder tech restrictions on Chinese companies, which they ha now have a little bit of a better argument saying, you know, despite what Beijing says, they do have some influence on these private companies. In the long term, this will make China's tech giants more uh, acquiescent to Beijing's tech plans. Uh, for example, the last five-year plan for China's economic development didn't really mobilize private firms to invest in strategic emerging industries like uh, energy and advanced manufacturing. And Beijing is intent on this current five-year plan, which was released in March and goes through 2026. They are intent that these uh, high-tech firms will join with them arm-in-arm, arm, uh, either voluntarily or otherwise, to develop these strategic emerging industries. Uh, and just broadly across the private sector, I imagine this will also change some Chinese corporate behavior because the message from Beijing to Chinese firms is that they should always watch for data leaks and any sort of opportunities for foreign influence, vaguely put, which will lead to some sorts of self-censoring within the Chinese corporate sphere and limit cross-Pacific tech cooperation, which uh, hurts innovation both in China and the U.S. Thanks, Chase. Thanks, Emily. I appreciate it. Good to be here. Chase Blazik is a Stratfor Asia-Pacific analyst at RAIN, where he delivers regular intelligence updates on the technology and geopolitics of China, including the U.S.-China competition. 
You can get geopolitical updates from our team of expert analysts delivered straight into your inbox. Sign up today for the Stratfor Worldview newsletter from Rain. Go to worldview.stratfor.com. That's worldview.stratfor.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening. 